Well, Joe, you ready to uh, record this week's episode? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got to uh, this out. All our fans are waiting. Wait, fans? What fans? You know, our our internet fans. What the fuck is the internet? Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of your favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what is shaking? Oh, well, um, it's been a good week. I actually just uh, had a birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Thursday. I turned 37. You had 37 birthdays? In a row? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> well, happy birthday. I hope it was a magical one. It was. It was indeed. Mm. So, well, yeah. So, um, what are we talking about this week? This week, uh, we are jumping back to 2001 to discuss the, <laughs> the soundtrack to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. We could have, you know, talked about some other Kevin Smith movies along the way. We could have done a whole series, but no, we jumped straight from Clerks was our first episode to yes, indeed. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, Libby, have had you had you seen this movie before? What's your history with uh, this film? I have a long and beautiful history with this film. I actually saw this in theaters. Oh man! With my ex boyfriend Aaron, uh, I think we saw it after a wedding, and. It cracked me up. I think this film is hysterical. And then my friend Courtney and I used to do bits from this to amuse ourselves. We would just like quote it constantly. So <laughs> I I have a real soft spot for this film. And this is one of those soundtracks that I still listen to a lot. Oh, nice. So what about you? Uh, well, when this movie came out, I, I think I was 15. So I couldn't get in by myself. I was not about to ask any adult to take me to see this movie. <laughs> so I had to wait for it to come out on DVD when I could then ask my mom, who didn't know any better, to pick a copy up for me on her way home from work. Um, what kind of video store? Did you have a Blockbuster or was it, did you have like, a, like an RST? Oh, we, yeah, we had definitely had a Blockbuster. Uh, the, cor- <laughs> the corner Blockbuster, rest in peace. No, never. Uh, <laughs> I will see you at hell, Blockbuster. Yeah, really. But uh, yeah, so... This is going to be a very tough one tonight because, like, Libby and I, I think we have some very odd history with uh, Kevin Smith in general. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into a lot of that because, you know, I I have a very distinct memory of, like, being really obsessed with these movies when I was in high school. And that's the, th- we all were, that's the thing that I think embarrasses me the most now is, like, I'm in this movie. I watch it and I'm embarrassed for the time when I thought these movies were important. Yeah, well, one of the things I really like about this movie is, unlike Kevin Smith's other movies, this one isn't preachy. This is just dick and fart jokes <laughs> for two hours, which I kind of like. It's Kevin Smith's entire id, just on screen. This, I think, is going to have to be categorized under problematic fave because it is extremely problematic, and we're going to get into that. But I also laugh at it, which I don't know what that says about me, except that I'm human garbage, but... <laughs> 
you know, I'm, I'm not going to front and, and pretend this is a scholarly podcast. We'll accept that, you know, there are problems with it and we'll talk about them. But there's also a really, really great soundtrack, mm-hmm. which is the other reason why we're here. Yeah. So we are here to discuss, to enlighten and to rock out. Yes. And also just because, you know, things can be problematic. But you know what? At the end of the day, funny is funny. So yeah. there's really no accounting And unfunny for is painfully oh, unfunny. Oh, absolutely. So uh, before we get into any of that, uh, Libby, how did our poll shake out from last week? Our last episode, well, rather. All I'm going to say is that I'm very disappointed in 76.5% of you. Ooh. Our polls, again, was uh, the soundtrack to There's Something About Mary. With 76.5% of the vote, you basic bitches voted for Build Me Up Buttercup. <laughs> of course they did. You are all surgeons and mall rats and street prostitutes who just can't get enough of singing Build Me Up Buttercup. America has spoken. So in second place, uh, we had the Lemonheads, If I Could Talk, I'd Tell You, which I've been listening to nonstop. That's a really good one, isn't it? It's a great song. Uh, with 5.9% of the vote was uh, Jonathan Richmond's There's Something About Mary. Mm-hmm. And with 0% of the vote, none of you voted for Mary's Prayer. All of you have been telling me to listen to Meet Danny Wilson for like my entire existence on Twitter. And then none of you come forward and vote for Mary's Prayer. Come on. And the, yeah, and then when Libby finally does it, nobody cared. I know. I'm just extremely disappointed <laughs> in everybody. But really, but one of the things that I think is interesting about uh, something about Mary versus Jan Silent Bob Strike Back is like they were f- made three years apart, and something about Mary seems a little. I mean, it's a very '90s movie, but it seems kind of timeless. Like it kind of holds up as far as the look and style of it. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is very 2001 is very uh early aughts sort of comedy and it feels it feels 20 years old because it is really it feels extremely dated (laughs) but in these very strange ways like it makes you think about what life was like in 2001 yeah and not to mention the fact that this came out uh, in late August of 2001. Ah. So this was like the very last possible moment where we were allowed to care about dumb yeah. shit like Jay and Silent Bob Strike yes, Back. Yes, indeed. So since we know when the film came out, uh, talk a little bit about the billboarding school for this soundtrack. Oh, yeah. The soundtrack came out August 25th, 2001. Uh, that week, the number one album in America is, now that's what I call music, volume seven. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, so that's where we were as a culture. <laughs> a bad, dark place. Uh, the top soundtrack that week, by the way, was the soundtrack to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Very nice. That's a good one. And that had like been on the charts for at least a year at that point. Yeah. <laughs> that was a phenomenon. It was, uh, the- and a strange one. Who would have thought that like a bluegrass soundtrack would have taken America by a storm? Only the Coen brothers. Only the Coen brothers. But uh, this album, uh, Jay and Silent Bob, peaked in its third week at uh, number 28, uh, its third week was September 8th, 2001, by the way. Ooh. And after that, well, yeah. the world changed on 9-11. Yeah. And this album dropped off the charts and was gone by Halloween. Um, the week that it left the, left the charts, the number one soundtrack in America was still Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, this is another in our road trip series. Yeah, we can't get away from these road trips. People just love to hit the open road between, you know, 1990 and 2001. 
but these always seem to be like the best soundtracks anyway. Like it's just something about hitting the open road and blasting an eclectic soundtrack that just plain works for a movie. Yeah. Although, which is weird because none of these actually play on the road. Well, maybe one or two of them. I take that back. I think, a couple um, do. Yeah. But for the most part, they're playing in gas stations and mm-hmm. um, the on quick radios. Stop. Yeah. You don't hear as many of them actually during the road trip portion. Uh, so how do we want to structure like the conversation about the, the soundtrack then? The Should we just is, talk about the movie? Yeah, because this soundtrack does not go in order of appearance in the film. Yeah. It actually skips around considerably. It's almost backwards. It kind of is. And also, this is one of those soundtracks where like half of the tracks on the disc are audio clips from the movie. Yeah, I realize that it's incredibly short as far <laughs> as actual music. Yeah. So, which is a little disappointing. Yeah, this is a 27-track album. There are 14 uh, dialogue clips on the album. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Yeah, well, and are you counting Jay's rap? Yes, of course I am. Well, as a song or as a dialogue clip? As a dialogue clip because... I mean, that's, that's a, a perfect place to start because, like, it, the movie starts off and I am just cringing in my seat because this is just embarrassing to me. <laughs> it's extremely embarrassing. Um, well, let's play a clip for starters. Oh, God. Mother, mother, fuck. Mother, mother, fuck, fuck. Mother, fuck, mother, fuck. Noinch, noinch, noinch. One, two. One, two, three, four. Noinch, noinch, noinch. Smoking weed, smoking weeds. Doing coke, drinking beers. Drinking beers, beers, beers. Rolling fatties, smoking blunts. Who smokes the The thing is, I still know all of this. Mm-hmm. It's not one of my better party tricks, but I can still do the whole thing. It's a tough one to perform because, like, it's it gets interrupted by dialogue and like, there's no way to finish it. <laughs> no. Uh, and he doesn't finish it. No. It just tapers off. This is one of those things I would leave on my friend Courtney's voicemail. <laughs> of course. I'm sure she loved you for that. She did actually. Courtney was the silent Bob to my J. Oh yeah. So yeah, this movie, I guess we should need to talk about like what the movie is. Yes. So Jay and silent Bob strike back is the fifth of Kevin Smith's, I guess, New Jersey uh, series of, mo- of films. All of these movies have characters that kind of weave in and out of each other's stories. And the only constant is Jay and Silent Bob, who up until this point were only kind of bit players. Like they hang out in front of the quick stop and clerks. They're just hanging around the mall and mall rats. They show up for one scene in Chasing Amy. But then in this film, Kevin Smith just put all of his cards on the table, called in every favor, and said, we are going to make a movie starring Jason Mewes. <laughs> and I don't know if that was a smart move or not, because I don't know about Jason Mewes as a lead in a movie. I don't know. I think he works here. I find him weirdly compelling. Like, I, th- I think the, the meta story about like them making the movie, like, like Kevin Smith spending 10 years of his life basically building up his weird stoner friend to be like a leading man in a movie. That's interesting to me. But then Jay in the movie, uh, he's not my favorite part. No, but when he nails it, he nails it. Oh, yeah. there are, He has some great moments in this movie, but they're also asking a lot of him yeah. to, to star like, like alongside like Shannon Elizabeth the whole movie. Yeah, he's carrying way too much weight funny side story so there is a filmmaker i will not name him a local filmmaker and he actually did a film called silent but deadly that he got jason muse to star in oh wow 
my guess is it was at a very low point in Jason Muse's life where you could probably get him for a very cheap price. Uh, I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I want to say that's one of many low points. Yeah. Um, and they filmed it locally. And at one point, Jason Muse came out of his trailer, like screaming, like, fuck all y'alls or something like that. Like just being Jason <laughs> Muse. And it was quite shocking. Oh, God. Because this is a very small, like, it was a small town portion of the county. And everyone was like, ooh, they're filming a movie here. And I guess it was a little crazy. Now, I, this is like third-hand knowledge, so I don't know if that's true, but it's sort of local lore. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yes, the film is silent but deadly. I cannot promise it is good, given that this is the same guy who wrote the film Champosaurus. Good luck finding it on YouTube because it's uh, misspelled. If you okay. can find it, it's an amazingly bad film. We may I have put that what? in the show notes. I you might. I don't know. Maybe or should happen. I? Or should I not? I don't know. Maybe stuff happens. Maybe Champosaurus makes it into the show notes. Maybe not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's <on>. beautiful. <laughs> So I guess for the, as far as the plot of the movie goes, I guess I'll let Jay explain it himself. <laughs> well, what brings you all the way out here? Well, we can't hang around a quick stop no more because of the strain order, which sucks ass because it's been like mine and Silent Bob's homes to our kids. We were talking to Brody and he told us about the Blunt Man and Chronic movies. So we went to see Holden McNeil and he showed us the internet. And that's where we found all these little fucking jerk-offs talking shit about us. So we decided to go to Hollywood and stop the movie from getting made. And now we're here. I have no idea what you just said. I get that a lot. So yeah, basically they're going to Hollywood to stop a Jay and Silent Bob movie from being made. Which incidentally is also the plot of the reboot that just came out, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Which should have been what actually happened. They should have stopped the Jay and Silent Bob reboot from being made. Because it's probably terrible. We didn't watch it. And we have no plans to. It looks like garbage. I cannot imagine Jay and Silent Bob at like 50 years old. It just, I, I can't compute it. In no. my head. No. So let's just leave it be for now. Yeah. Let's just <laughs> stick with our cool soundtrack and our weird, problematic, but still funny movie. All right, Libby. Well, take it away from here because I'm just kind of rambling about nothing. So the first song that we actually hear in the film, other than Jay's rap and a little bit of Jungle Love, which we will get to in time, I assure you, is uh, Jackass by the Bloodhound Gang. Let's go to a clip. Now, I have a weird affection for this song. I can't explain it, except that I think it's very funny because I am a fucking teenage boy. <laughs> I think it's a very, very like funny and weird song. Again, it's super pop culture heavy. Yeah. And but I like the way it ends because it starts with him saying, like, you're a jackass, you're a jackass, but it ends with him being like, because I'm a jackass, like I'm a shitty person. And I kind of like that transformation. At least they're owning up to it. Yeah, like Like, they stop blaming everyone else and realize that actually they're the problem. I don't know. I I found myself wanting to skip this one very quickly because it was 
it was very in my face in a, in a moment where I wasn't expecting it, but also like the Bloodhound Gang is, is a group that I have not thought about in 20 years. And I was prepared to never think about them again. Aw. I was I never got on the Bloodhound Gang train and I just Me neither. All although right. a guy that I liked put uh uh Discovery Channel on a mix for me one time as a choke. And so it it sort of amuses me by proxy. So I guess here's my question. Is the Bloodhound Gang a rock band or a rap group? I would say they're a rock band. Okay. Um, because I think it's very interesting that like their one big hit that everybody knows is kind of a rap techno song. Yeah. This one I think is actually the better song though. Okay. So I just, I really, really think this song is funny. And also it gives a shout out to Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's true. Ben Kenobi went and got himself a pompadour. <laughs> <laughs> now see, before you jumped into it, I was about to say the Bloodhound Gang. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. <laughs> oh, sorry. I stepped out of your joke. Don't worry. Kevin Smith will make all those jokes for you. That's true. He's got is, the Star Wars jokes under control. If there is a Star Wars joke to be made, he will make it in record time. Yep. Every single time. That's Painfully like his thing so. that he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 okay. The song yeah. is whatever. No, I love it. I give it everyone give it another another spin. Um but yeah, it is playing at the quick stop when Randall is complaining about Jay and Silent Bob selling weed out in front of their store. Um I do still think that Brian O'Halloran is hot in this movie. He's my like eternal <laughs> okay. weird crush. I don't know, I have like a weird thing for like Jersey guys. This this no. is the movie for you then, really. Yeah, I can't explain it. And not like I don't like jersey guidos i just like jersey bros like <laughs> like, weird, weird dudes from new jersey yeah just like brian o'halloran all right i just think he's cute see i'm like the exact opposite like anytime you can get kevin smith drags jeff anderson back into a movie i love it like <laughs> that guy is amazing <laughs> oh i think he's the worst in this oh. eh. he's like he has been like historically the thing that's kept them from making a clerk's three like he straight up does not want to do it good thank you man it's also why they instead made the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Oh, man, you screwed so us all. You, 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 you take, you know, the good and the bad, and, well, that's it. Afraid so. Um, but, yeah, I, so what, what's happening here is uh, Randall decides he's had enough of Jay and Silent Bob, and he issues a restraining order on them and kicks them out from hanging out in front of the quick stop. And so Jan and Bob have to go find some new place to hang out. And that should have kind of been the plot of the movie, I think. That would have been a pretty funny plot. Yeah, like they sort of wander around New Jersey looking for a place to hang like, out. And they yeah. touch upon it later. A little trying bit. trying to hang out in front of yeah. another. That scene is so sad. <laughs> it's, it's great. We'll get there in a minute. And like the, the beginning of this movie like goes rapid fire Kevin Smith references very quick. Because as soon as they get kicked out of the quick stop, they go and meet Brody from Mallrats who is now running his own comic book store, which is actually Kevin Smith's real, real comic book store. Which I have not been in, but I have been to, like near because uh, Jack's Music Shop, which mm-hmm. is featured in Chasing Amy, is across the street from Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash. Oh, okay. And so I have seen it. Jack's Music Shop, uh, for those of you who are going to be uh, down in Red Bank, is a great record store. The people who work there are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask for Tim. Tell him Libby sent you. He's a good guy. So I bought I bought a lot of good vinyl there. I also bought a Morrissey record there. But 
Of course you did. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> it was his new one, and Morrissey sucks, but the new album was not... Sorry, I take that back. It wasn't his new one, because his new one sucks. It was California Sun, which is incredible. But I wanted to buy it from someone I trusted, and so I went to Jack's. I went to support a good local business. There you go. So I yeah. went to Jack's in Red Bank. So yeah, support local record stores, like especially yes. right now. It's important. Absolutely, and you can then walk across the street into Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash if that's your thing. Which in this movie is called Brody's secret stash because yes. yeah, um, and, and that's where we get the next song on our soundtrack. So, which is the Devil Song by Marcy Playground. And on that note, we cue the music. My lucky number 16. I got all the things I need. It's the nature of my bleed. I'm independent, smooth and confident. This was a, a, an underrated hit to me. Like, I did not remember Marcy Playground was even on the soundtrack, but I really like this one. This is a great song. And this um, was actually re-released by the band in 2004 mm-hmm. uh, on their album MP3 as Deadly Handsome Man. Oh, okay. Because I was never able to find this, like, on, on streaming, and it's because it was under a different song title. Ah, that makes sense. So I love this song. This song... I have put on at least one mix. I think I went to put it on a mix for somebody else. Um, Cause it very, very much reminds me of another friend of mine. I'm um, mostly cause he just dresses extremely well. Um, <laughs> the line, uh, my real name is Mephistopheles, but you can call me baby. Like, Oh, come on. <laughs> That's good. That's good shit. Right. That there. is some English major shit right there. Mm-hmm. Like, ah. Uh, oh man. Yes, that that impressed me. Um and because again, Marcy Playground's really just known for sex and candy. Which is one of those songs that every time I hear, I'm like, this is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I kind of w- waver between like this is boring to this is really chill and I like it. This is amazing. It's, Marcy it's, Playground it's depends actually, on your mood. Uh, yeah, they were actually supposed to be the first band I would have the first concert I would have ever seen. Oh wow. They were playing uh, it was right before Sex and Candy like blew up. Ooh. Um, they were, you know, starting to get some some airplay, but um, it was playing. They were playing in Schenectady. Mm-hmm. It ended up being a twenty-one over show, so I couldn't go. But I was gonna go with this kid, Bob Elwell, who also loved Tommy Boy, and I uh, we we, we could have had something, but alas, we saw <laughs> the movie Sphere together though. Ooh, wow. Yeah. And he was the first boy that ever got me a Valentine. That's adorable. It was. So um so this that one's for you, Bob, wherever you are. But um This podcast know. is secretly Libby's little black book, isn't it? It kinda is. <laughs> I'm naming names. I'm here so. for it. <laughs> oh boy. But no, uh, this is this this is a, a very a really chill, uh cool song to put on any any mixtape, I think. Yeah, it's also like low key sexy. A little bit, yeah. So, and you would kind of want to go out with this guy, even though he'd probably never call you again, but you'd be like fine with it because it was like fun and you understand he's like a player, but he's not a jerk about it. Right, but but you also like kind of believe him when he calls himself the devil. It's like, yes. yeah, I bet he is. Yeah. This song reminds <laughs> me a lot of my friend Jason. 
<laughs> like a lot. I think that's actually who I put it on the mix for. Oh, okay. if, that'd be embarrassing if I forgot uh, which which boy I put a song on a mix for. Mm. But, but uh, so in the, in this scene, uh, Brody basically spells out to Jan Silent Bob that they they should be rich because the rights to the comic book that's based on them has just been sold and turned into a, or is being turned into a movie. Miramax movie. A Miramax movie because Which they that make used... a point to say a thousand fucking times. Yeah. This is like secretly a big dig at Miramax because why the fuck would Miramax bankroll this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Probably because Harvey Weinstein is trying to rape somebody in the cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, set up. But uh Brody actually has a point here because he says, you know, after the success of X-Men, they started grabbing up every comic book property. In 2001 alone, they made Ghost World, Josie mm-hmm. and the Pussycats, From Hell, and Monkey Bone, also known as Darktown. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Monkey Bone. Monkey Bone is one of my favorite movies. That's like one of my garbage favorites. I should like revisit that sometime. You should. It's actually really good. It's one of those watch the deleted scenes and then watch the film mm-hmm. and you'd be like this actually is a great movie that the studio just chopped and tore apart mm-hmm. but yeah like this is like a very prescient kind of move here where like, he's like calling out the studios for just like buying up comics left and right because yeah a you, you just said it they did but also like the the big comic bubble hadn't even started to blow up yet you know mm-hmm. it was only in its infancy and now look where we are well the other thing is they were indie comics that's true you know these weren't marvel they weren't um i mean from hell was what dark horse yeah i think so yeah but um but you're you're right like miramax only makes classy movies like the piano (laughs) or the crying game (laughs) but yeah they were still you know trying to do well, I guess more like graphic novels if we have to make that differentiation. Like Ad- adult comics, basically. Yeah. So uh, they they were able to pinpoint this and then it would become a much bigger thing in just another handful of years, including to the point where Ben Affleck would play Batman. Yeah. Yeah. The other the other reason that I think this movie exists is because when this was made, Ben Affleck was like the biggest actor in the world, and his best friend was Kevin Smith. <laughs> his best friend, other than Matt Damon. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't, okay, so I gotta ask. Yeah. Are you Team Matt or Team Ben? I okay. I don't dislike Ben, but I've always been Team Matt. I've always kind of been, and I don't like, and I can't name a single like Ben Affleck movie that I really like, mm-hmm. but I've just got a weird soft spot for him. Cause I'm just like, I think he just needs a friend. <laughs> yeah. Like I was thinking about this the other day. Like I, act, I know the internet goes crazy about Batman. So I'm not going to talk about Batman for, you know, very long, but I like Ben Affleck's version of Batman because he plays him like a, an angry, divorced dad. And it occurred to me that it, it's because when he played Batman, he was an angry, divorced dad. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I have a weird, feel bad for Ben Affleck, I guess, in his mansion with his back tattoo. He just seems like an eternal fuck up and I have a soft spot for him. And I just, Matt Damon just seems like the worst we should have just left him on Mars, frankly. 
We should, yeah, just keep, stop leaving in places because it always causes trouble. Yeah, and it costs us a lot of money, and those are my Uh tax dollars of fucking work. Yeah. Honestly, I don't really get either of them, but. Well, they're a package deal. They were at least were back in the day. Yeah. Like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. You know, they put them in a bunch of movies. (laughs) So, and actually, let's talk about that. Okay. Because at that point, so they've gone to see Holden McNeil to talk about Blunt Man and Chronic. Who, yeah, and the creator we'll of... the song that's playing in... The creator of Blunt Man and Chronic is yes. Holden McNeil, played by Ben Affleck. And they think he has their money. Yes. Um, so, at one point, you know, he's talking about they're making the movie. And yeah. he has the line. I don't think I'm alone in the world in uh, imagining this flick may be the worst idea since Greedo shooting first. You know, a Jay and Silent Bob movie? Who would pay to see that? And they turn and look at the audience. Mm-hmm. This happens a couple times in the movie. And it's always in a very derogatory way to the audience, who has just handed over money to see Kevin Smith's movie. Presumably because they are fans. Yeah. And there is no one I've ever seen who goes out of his way to shit on his audience as hard as Kevin Smith. And I don't understand why that is something that has been blowing my mind for years. Like, oh why? yeah. And, and he's been like in that spiral for at least 20 years now. And I don't understand it because he seems like such a good dude on Twitter. And I've, I've been to screenings of his films and talked with him and he seems like a very friendly guy. He will stay and sign autographs forever. I have a picture with him. Um, I think we showed that back on Clark's. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why he's so mad at us and why he thinks we're all I, such jerk-offs. I think I think I, I know what this is, actually. It's because Kevin Smith strikes me as a very, like, self-effacing nerd. Like, he knows how terrible he is on the inside. And as a, speaking as a self-effacing nerd, we all hate each other. So any chance he gets to hate on, like, other nerds like himself, he will take it. So you're saying if you knew me like I know myself, you'd hate me like you hate yourself? Kind of, yes. Okay. Is that a song lyric? Because I feel like that's a song lyric. It's from Jackass. See, I've already forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so this is actually the scene where they're with Holden is very, very, very funny and very terrible, Mm -hmm. but also extremely funny. Yeah. Very quickly, um, we have mini bars choked up. Mm-hmm. He's playing when they're talking with Holden McNeil. Yeah. And it's tough to pick my favorite song on the soundtrack because there are a lot of really good ones. This one just melts my heart every time. Um, <laughs> and I can't explain why because normally I have steeled myself against these sort of soft boy singer songwriters that we had in the late 90s, early 2000s. This song slays me. Uh, Should we go to a clip? We should go to a clip. so beautiful and so tender and sincere and 
Yeah. Yeah, this is a nice song. I don't really have any commentary <laughs> on it because to me, it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. No, it's just like it settles in the center of my chest and just like lays there for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, this was co-written by uh, Ryan Adams. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, which explains why it's so good, but is also a problem. Like, oh, right. Yeah, Adams. that guy. Oh. Um, and Minibar was actually one of those bands. They were a band's band. Pete Yorn loved them. The Wallflowers loved them. And they just never quite caught on. They they had a couple albums. This one actually appears on their album Road Movies as well mm-hmm. as on this soundtrack. And they they just never quite made it. They they did a couple other albums. They had some other stuff on soundtracks. But they never quite caught on the way I think they should have. Um and I think what I like about this song is one it was playing in the car the first time I kissed my husband. So, like, I always think about, like, us falling in love to this. And it just, you know, there's there's lines like running out of the running out of money at the end of the month, uh, knowing I can't buy the things I want. Just remind you of being, like, young and romantic and poor. And, like, that wonderful, weird sadness that sort of hovers around your 20s mm-hmm. that you, you'll never have at another time in your life, but where you are very cognizant that your world is changing that you are growing up that your friends are moving to different parts of the world the country the state wherever they end up and you're just watching things sort of drift away you want to hold on to them for like one more second but you can't and i feel like there's something in this song that really captures that very specific feeling they're just running out of money and time that's beautiful man <laughs> no that's that's a really lovely uh, uh sentiment like i get i get it now i understand that yeah and I, I i know like the kind of the mood mood of the music you're talking about too it's very kind of i don't want to say wistful because that sounds re- weird but i mean it is it's very uh you hate to see these times you know move on yeah it's melancholy it's mel there thank god thank you <laughs> but very sweet I don't understand why it's in this movie. Again, this weird stoner comedy, but it makes sense that Holden McNeil would be listening to this because he's a fucking soft boy. He's a soft boy. And, you know, given what happens to him in Chasing Amy, I'm sure he's still licking those wounds, (sighs) you know, five years later. Because he's a fucking soft boy. Yeah. But also, like, there's kind of a sense in this movie that they know they're kind of they or at least at the time they knew they were kind of aging out of these characters. So they were trying to give them as big of a send off as they could. Yeah. That makes sense. Which, which, you know, boy, I sure wish that had stuck. (laughs) We both look at the camera. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, but let's talk about this scene. Cause this scene sets up the film. Uh, I think um, movie poop shoot has essentially become Twitter. Oh Yeah. Like, at the time, it was originally, like, a dig at um, Ain't It Cool News. Which it should still be a dig at, because fuck that guy. Oh, absolutely fuck that guy. Fuck him off his stupid ass. (laughs) He is a fucking clown. (laughs) But 
Um, they actually did make moviepoopshoot.com into a real website for like two or three years. Oh, God. Like around when this movie came out. And I remember, I remember like browsing that website a lot just for no reason, just because it existed. <laughs> Were you Magnolia yes. fan? No, but I did take umbrage at that, at that uh, offense. <laughs> Magnolia is a good movie. <laughs> oh, my little film school, bro. Oh my God. Um, I do use uh, to varying degrees fuck Jay and Silent Bob fuck them up their stupid asses because they're finding <laughs> out people are saying mean things about them on the internet which seems so quaint now because we've all just gotten used to people saying mean shit about us all the time on the internet yeah yeah I don't even want to tell you what Morrissey fans have said about me Ooh, I can imagine I have been called the c-word of course so but like one of the notes I took during the scene was I just said, God, even the Internet looks like a baby in this. Movie. I know. <laughs> it, it was such a, like a pre- it was so prescient of what the Internet would become. I know. Like I, I'm actually kind of impressed. <laughs> <laughs> or what it just always was meant to be a place for people to share pornography and bitch about movies. Right. I mean, what else have we been doing in quarantine for the last six weeks? Yeah, really, really just bitching about movies and yeah, pornography, and, I guess. You know, I'm. Um, so Jay and Silent Bob from here are setting out to dis- to destroy the film, to s- put a stop to it uh, so that people will stop making fun of them on the internet. And I have to say that putting a stop to dudes on the internet is an honorable mission. Godspeed, my Honestly, good fellows. Yes. yes. But it, it's it's such a, a a stoner comedy kind of move. Like the they like they keep telling them they should be going to Hollywood to get paid to you know to cash in on the thing that is making money off of them. But no, they're just going to Hollywood to stop people from making fun of them, <laughs> and that's amazing. Because yeah, like what if someone tarnishes their good names? You should put that whole clip in there. Well, fuck that. We gotta put a stop to these fucking hateful sons of bitches before they ruin our good names. First of all, I don't know how good your names are. Second of all, there's not much you can do about stopping this file. The internet has given everyone in America a voice, and evidently everyone in America has chosen to use that voice to bitch about movies. So the road trip begins, and Jay and Silent Bob get a a lesson in the rules of the road from none other than George Carlin. And here's, I think, where we can address something that has already been going on for a considerable length in this movie, and that is just the avalanche of gay jokes. Right, because the thing that kicks off the entire movie is that Jay told two kids that Dante and Randall got married. And it's like, ha ha, that's gay. Yeah. Because <laughs> they say that the time is gay. Right. And they specifically use that word because that was still being used as a slur with pretty fair frequency in 2001. Right. It was still, yeah, like a common pejorative in 2001. Mm-hmm. The thing is, so... Kevin Smith was actually approached by Glad after this film came out and charged with, you know, using too many gay jokes. And he did make a $10,000 donation to the Matthew Shepard Foundation, mm-hmm. but then got really pissed about it. And uh, there's a letter published on the Wayback Machine, and he gets very angry and very much like it's cool if you're gay gay or straight it doesn't matter but these guys they're jerks so i'm allowed to make them use bad language and no one should you know take offense to that because you shouldn't be getting your you know moral advice from jay and silent bob strike back and he uses a lot the excuse that his brother's gay he's got gay friends 
But the truth is that regardless of how repulsive these characters are, the just plethora of homophobic remarks and gay joke after gay joke after gay joke, it's still too much. And we're still hearing it. And we just shouldn't be hearing it. It's just that's language that should just not be in our psychic space. And especially because we are supposed to follow these characters. Right. And to just hear them make extremely tired gay jokes about prison rape, about, you know, having to suck off like a truck driver, like, ugh, just stop, guys. And the thing is, you could say, like, well, they're crappy characters, like, they're bad people. Like, yeah, but they're not real. They're fictional characters. Fictional characters. <laughs> Am I getting through to you? So, Kevin Smith had to write that dialogue. He had to write those scenes. He's choosing to make them use homophobic language. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he would love to hear me say this. He's a lot like George Lucas in the sense that he he can write this stuff and there's no one around him to tell him, no, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And like, okay, so your gay friend thought it was funny, but it doesn't mean that it's acceptable and the fact that he's sort of doubled down on it in this letter he even triples down on it in the end credits of the movie he likes to do his end credits the way they do in like the the zucker brothers movies like they just put random jokes in the credits just in case you're watching and at the very end of the credits he puts in a paragraph where he says anybody who uses the insults contained in this film on any gay lesbian bisexual transgender or heterosexual person real perceived or imaginary is a total dumbass now you can say that. You can put that in the movie, but who but me 20 years later is ever going to see that? Yeah. Like, it, it's, you can put it in there, but that doesn't paper over the fact that you still did it. Yeah. And to not apologize for it, you know, is, I think, kind of shitty. I think he should say, you know what? I was crappy for doing that. And, you know, we get it. Jay is a jerk off. He says a lot of terrible things about women, too. But he's not the only one. It's, there's a lot of gay jokes from a lot of different people in this film. And it just gets so tiresome. And there, I mean, I mean there are a couple yeah. that are funny. They're wrong. I don't want to okay, say, like, I'll... being funny makes up for it. But there's something about them that you're like, okay. Well, that is at least clearly a joke. That's not just an right. excuse to say, well, that's gay. Going back to George Carlin, he actually makes the best point in this film. Because he says, gay or straight, it doesn't matter anymore. It's all the same now. Yeah, yeah. which I kind of appreciate. That has actually aged incredibly well, at least among the educated and good of us. I understand that like, sexuality is a spectrum, baby. It's like, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter yeah. anymore. We're all just people. Yeah. So, and he tells them about the unwritten book of the road. Then they meet, uh, for some reason, the Scooby-Doo gang. Yes, and this is just a sequence of pure silliness. Uh, it's a chance to use Steppenwolf's magic carpet ride. Everyone knows this song. We're just going to, like, breeze past it. Yeah, sure, why not? But it's one of those, like, stoner comedy jokes. It's like, it doesn't work. It's like, haha, I get it. Weed's, weed is a thing. Yeah, they're definitely yeah. smoking weed. Um, although I do, like... When Shaggy says, like, why don't we cut out their kidneys and sell them on the black market? That's a good <laughs> <'Cause> he just <laughs> looks so deranged. 
<laughs> oh my god! But it turns out it's a dream, of course. So mm-hmm. we move on, and yeah, we move on, and they, so they go to a restaurant, a movies restaurant, which is like our dogma tie-in. Yes, to get some food. Well, and actually, why don't you talk a little bit about movies? So in uh, dogma. The joke is that Mubi is this golden calf who is kind of sort of like a Mickey Mouse sort of figure. And that's and the two angels in the film, you know, that view that as a sin and that's terrible and people must be destroyed for it. But then in the all pers- all Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Exactly. But then in all following Kevin Smith movies, Mubi Kevin Smith movies, excuse me, Mubi's turns into a fast food restaurant. And only just recently, uh, Kevin Smith announced that movies will actually be opening in Los Angeles, and you can buy food there now. Yes, it's a pop-up. And if yes. I'm not mistaken, all money goes to like a food bank charity. Mm-hmm. So, um, I what was it? The messy lasagna sandwich. Oh God! Just kill me! Just like stop my heart now, please. <laughs> but what a glorious way to go! Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> At one point, I did actually own a uh, movies uh, employee T-shirt or like button-up shirt. I do not know why. I don't know what happened to it. Because I'm so embarrassed. You're my little Kevin Smith garbage baby. That's why. That's me. <laughs> but it was like purple and yellow, and I for some reason I wore it to classes in college. Oh my god! There are probably photos of me. Again, I am embarrassed. <laughs> this this whole thing is just like me walking down memory lane and going, oh, God, I did do that, didn't I? <laughs> it's like a long pop culture hangover. Yeah, really. No kidding. <laughs> uh, but then... Speaking of pop so culture I, hangovers. Remember when fast food restaurants actually had computers in them? No. For some reason? Like computer kiosks? No. I, I distinctly remember McDonald's having this at some point. No, I've never seen one of those. Although, just a fun fact for all you road trippers out there, um, if you are driving and you want to stop and you know check your email, check your Facebook, always pull off at a McDonald's. They have good, strong Wi-Fi. You can get it in the parking lot and then head out. Speaking of uh, fast food and things that they used to have in them, computers. This movie has a computer with access to the internet. <laughs> so Jay and Silent Bob decide to look up what uh, has been said about them on moviepoopshoot.com, and they leave an amazing tirade in response. All you motherfuckers are going to pay. You are the ones who are the ball lickers. And then we get perhaps the most New Jersey thing that has ever happened in a Kevin Smith movie. We get the introduction of Shannon Elizabeth's justice to Bon Jovi's Bad Medicine. Some of the cues in this movie are like way too obvious, but this is an obvious one that really, really works. Well, yeah, because it's bad medicine. Yeah, and it's Bon Jovi, and it's Shannon Elizabeth, and damn, <laughs> which is weird. This is one of those uh, Mandala effects because I always thought that um, her cue was PJ Harvey's "This Is Love." Oh, okay. Which we'll get a little later, but I was sort of surprised. I was like, oh, I guess her cue is bad medicine. Mm. Shannon Elizabeth, who also uh, that same week in movie theaters starred in American Pie 2. So she was having a big week. Kind of, sort of, yes. <laughs> but yes, Jay is immediately smitten, and he and Justice uh, start a, la- a little uh, love story right here. Yes. The, and actually, just a couple quick notes about this song. Yeah. So, I mean, this song is just, it's, it's a classic. It's sleazy. 
but I mm. love it. Um, I feel like some. I feel like my friend Jason put this on a mix for some other girl, which I am now retroactively insulted by. <laughs> oh, what? I'm not bad medicine. Is that it? Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, Libby, you give love a bad name. I also do that. No, I got Bon Jovi's <laughs> I Am, which is a really oh. great song for Bon Jovi. Uh, but this, I really feel like, is more just Kevin Smith being like, I may be in L.A., but I'm all Jersey, baby. And I guess Bruce Springsteen wasn't available. He is, Kevin Smith is definitely on the Bon Jovi side of New Jersey. You're either Bruce Springsteen or Bon Jovi. I, yeah, that makes sense to me. That tracks. Mm-hmm. He doesn't strike me as a a boss fan, really. No, nope. He's all Bon Jovi. But then, but then, like hot on the heels of of uh, Justice's entrance in the movie, we we get the entrance of her uh, gang of friends to it inexplicably to Run DMC's "Tougher Than Leather." I don't know what this is doing. Here. I have no clue because I, I mean I do like this song and I do like Run DMC. Actually, I, I have one idea. My only thought is this must be one of Kevin Smith's favorite albums because he also referenced uh, Tougher Than Leather in Dogma. I guess. But I just, I don't know why this scene. And I firmly believe that like he, he, this was probably was some of his favorite music, you know, back in the day. Great. It is, but it's, so, the middle part of this movie is, I think, I don't know what to think about the middle part of this movie because it's basically a weird side mission <laughs> where uh, this gang of girls is going to an animal testing lab in Colorado where they intend to steal a monkey. Yes. And they get Jay and Silent Bob to, be, to agree to steal the monkey because Jay's in love with justice and he, she can sweet talk him into anything. Yes, and... We have some of our last two tracks. Yeah. uh, Not our last two, but our last two for a while uh, Mm -hmm. that we actually have on the soundtrack. And they are This Is Love by PJ Harvey, which is playing in the band. Let's, uh, sorry, playing in the van. This, yeah, this song plays when uh, Jay gets a chance to throw out the other guy in the van played by Sean William Scott for some reason (laughs) and just throw him out of the van and then all of a sudden, the, uh, PJ Harvey starts playing. Yes. Now, I love this song. This mm-hmm. is actually, I think, better than Bad Medicine. And because it's, again, it's really grimy and sexy. And I think if I was a stripper, this would be my my stripper song. Mm, yeah. Should we go to a clip? We should go to a clip. Let's do you that. You can all imagine me, like, grinding. This is our second appearance from PJ Harvey on this soundtrack because she showed up on the Batman Forever soundtrack. Yes, she did. So, and these are the only two PJ Harvey songs that I know. I think, yeah, same. And I, I feel bad about. I that, know. I feel but... like I should listen to more PJ Harvey because everything I hear, I really like. I just then don't. I do listen to this song a lot. Mm-hmm. I just love that line. Um, I can't believe I'm so obsessed, but I just want to sit here and watch you undress. Ah, like, oh, it's so sexy. It's so good. <laughs> 
and then uh, for this, I found the music video for this song. Oh, is it hot? It it kind of is because it's just PJ Harvey in like a white pantsuit in front of like a white backdrop playing a guitar and singing the song. And it's just, man, I don't know, but it just really works for oh, me. Oh, nice. <laughs> She's, she is awesome. It's a very horny podcast. <laughs> Listen, y'all know that I started putting like links to music videos in the show notes. This is totally going in oh, there. Oh, hell yeah. There's also, there's an important scene in here because uh, Jay sets up the joke uh, about a trouser snake. And for those oh, of you who God, do not yeah. know what that is, it's a penis. And Wait, really? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, it's not a real snake, Joe. Oh, God. And I think that's important that Jay gets a lesson in consent. So something that Louis C.K. never got. Uh, yeah. don't pull- even, even kind of a, a weird, fucked up, accidental lesson. Yeah, don't pull your <laughs> dick out until she asks. Or until she's sleeping. Well, yeah, but... But, but no, don't do that either. But you got to go from the heart, yo. I think it's really, really good advice in anything. Don't do anything that isn't coming from your heart, yo. That's true. It, it, it's a good. It's a good little, little note to end that scene on because, yeah. like, Jay has to. He's got to learn a lesson at some point in this movie, right? Yes. Uh, so it might as well be a lesson about consent, which is something that I feel like Kevin Smith fans probably should learn. Yeah, and see, like, you can... For when you, you do touch the... a girl one day. <laughs> Eventually, at some point. <laughs> Knock on wood, we hope. But yeah, like, you can see the bones of, like, what this movie could have been if... if Because it makes sense that they would, like, get kicked out of the quick stop and try to find, like, a new home somewhere. And then eventually make their way to Hollywood. And then that, that you know... It, it's, like, nice that Jay would fall in love and kind of change as a person throughout the journey. But then it just doesn't really come together like that no but that's okay because it's still funny um it's, i don't know if still i want funny, but like, a, I don't know. a J hero story but um we get uh <laughs> one more track actually as they're standing in front of the convenience store they're trying to get comfortable but it's just not the same and we've got uh, bullets by bob schneider yeah, let's go to a clip on yeah. this one. You be the judge, you got bullets, I got time. You bring the bullet, I bring the wine. You bring the bullet, I bring my back. Cause I can tell you where it is, but I can tell you where it's at. This song lands for me somewhere between like between ska and whatever it is you call what Ed Sheeran does. <laughs> I don't even know what Ed Sheeran is, if I'm honest. Is he a type of fish? <laughs> I only know him from the one scene in Game of Thrones, and he didn't get killed, so I don't know what to think about him. So, Well, all you need to know about Bob Schneider is that uh, his band, uh, Ugly Americans, were an opening act for Dave Matthews. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, Wow. Like it all comes, it all comes together. Yeah, it makes now. Like, sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. No, I do like this song. That's a good song. Yeah, like I'll make fun of it, but it's a good song. I just think it's just kind of, it kind of sexy. I think a lot of songs on this are sexy. I'm just in kind it's, of a sexy mood, I guess. It's got a real casual groove that I like about. Yeah. Oh, like it's, it's just a good song to hang around to. And I basically, yeah, I just it also has like a little bit of a crime feel to it. Like, are we going to mm-hmm. commit a heist? Are we going to go do some crimes? Like, like when the horns come in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. This song was also used in uh, Miss Congeniality. 
Really? Yeah. Um, oh, God. He has a weird lot of um, movies with Sandra Bullock because uh, his song Blue Skies for Everyone was played in the movie Gunshy, starring Liam Neeson and Sandra Bullock. We have Bullets and Miss Congeniality. Um, we have uh, his song The World Exploded Into Love, which appeared in the movie Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, starring Sandra Bullock. His song Love is Everywhere was featured in the movie... Uh, all about Steve, starring Sandra Bullock. What the fuck? Is he married to Sandra Bullock? Like, is this like? Is he funded by Sandra Bullock? Is Sandra Bullock secretly a chance on let Bob strike back? Let's not go no. that far. But yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah, like <laughs> that is a very very specific discography there. It's a very odd niche that he found for himself. <laughs> Sandra Bullock movies. Um, and I I, 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 Paul, I hate that I have to say these words, but I'm looking at Bob Schneider's like all music uh, page and it describes him as Elvis Costello meets Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, God. That's like a personal <laughs> attack. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, also that kind of makes sense. I'm just but like, it fits, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I hate it, but it makes sense. And I, I do. I love this song. I I put this on several mixes for people mm. and yeah. I went and listened to his other stuff and I was so disappointed. So I was like, this is hipster garbage. <laughs> How can we'll the dude see, that wrote bullets write this crap? Well, see, that's what a good soundtrack can do. Like it can cherry pick the gold nuggets out of, you know, lesser artists crap basically yeah they know what songs will sound the best yeah although you know what this song always kind of makes me think of this song sounds like it was custom made for a cowboy bebop amv Mm. like you can kind of picture it can't you i kind of can yeah yeah the um the devil song would work too yep yep it sure would this this song is 2001 as fuck oh yeah it's violently 2001 (laughs) fun fact miss congeniality was my college roommate's favorite film Hmm. Yeah. Wherever you are, Allie. <laughs> we got you, fam. Yeah. <laughs> um, but here is it's at this point in my notes that I want to point out the thing that I enjoy the most about this movie is just like the casual meanness of every character in it. Because everybody is kind of hateful to each other, and that's always funny to me. <laughs> Like, for some reason, everybody refers to Jay as a little kid, and I think that's hilarious. Yeah. I also, of all of his insults to uh, Silent Bob, Lunchbox is my favorite nickname. It's slightly offensive, but not too terrible. No, and again, Kevin Smith is writing it for himself. Exactly. So I just, like, and I think because, I get it, like, it's a fat joke, but because a Lunchbox is an inanimate object, I just think it's funny that he calls him Lunchbox. Like, as you know, probably under his coat, he's got, you know, something to eat. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so, like, it's, okay, it's revealed that the this gang of girls is, are actually diamond thieves. And when they send Jay and Silent Bob to, to steal a monkey, they go next door to the diamond exchange to steal a bag of diamonds. But also, it's important to note that it's not just any monkey. This is a monkey named, an orangutan named Suzanne, which is a reference to the end credits of Mallrats, where Jay and Silent Bob walk off into the sunset with a monkey named for Suzanne for basically no reason. That's weird. I have no memories of uh, Mallrats, so this is all new to me. This is fascinating. I, 
I, I remember way too much of these movies. Like, uh, actually, like, I think it was about a week ago, Kevin Smith was like live streaming Mallrats on his Facebook page. And my girlfriend and I were sitting in bed and she's watching part of it on her phone. And like, I knew the exact scene. I knew the dialogue. And I was just like, le- like turning the other way, just kind of mouthing the words because I knew it just just in my blood. <laughs> and I hated myself. That's okay. I knew most of those films. So we get it. We're garbage. <laughs> We're, we're garbage people. Garbage. But it's just, it's just such a fun, like, diversion where uh, Jay starts to imagine, you know, what if there's more monkeys at that lab? And he has this whole strange Planet of the Apes, like, dream sequence. Which is much, it's the best Planet of the Apes reboot. And after the fall of man, these monkey fucks will start wearing our clothes and rebuilding the world in their image. Oh, and only those as super smart as me will be left alive to bitterly cry. You maniacs! Damn yous! God damn yous all hell! It's just so dramatic and so amazing, and he just decides to try and kill the monkey. And then the monkey kisses him and makes it all better. And now they're best friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's this movie in a nutshell, basically. <laughs> They're chased down by Marshall, Will, and Holly. There are several chase sequences. Play, and event- played by Will Ferrell, yes. we should note. Yes. Uh, there's one scene where they're, they're cornered. It's an ode to the fugitive. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes place, I believe, it's at the Hoover Dam. Is that what we're supposed to believe? Uh, probably, sure. Uh, they're standing at the edge. You know, they're, they're cornered. And they realize, you know, they're at the top of the Hoover Dam. And Jay says, the whole fucking world's against us, I swear to God. I use that line at least once a week. <laughs> so that's how I, I feel all the time. But they escape. They eventually get to Hollywood. And here's where we have um, Hip Hopper, which oh is boy. the worst song on this soundtrack. So let's play a clip. You see me driving down the street. I look so fucking good I'm smoking weed into winter In my Tommy Hilfiger hoodie This is by Thomas Rusek featuring Teddy Bears And it is just crap It is, because for starters It makes fun of the like the quote unquote like hip hop lifestyle. Dude, you're from yeah. fucking Sweden. <laughs> Maybe take it back a step. Like and I, I I'm taking him at his word when he like talks about how cool and awesome it is. Like he that's how he thinks. I think it's supposed to be a little bit like kick some ass, which we'll talk about shortly. Or something like Rock in the Suburbs by Ben Folds. Where it's just like look how like sarcastic like oh i'm so cool i'm into hip-hop like motherfucker hip-hop existed before you were born (laughs) like are you really gonna like go up to the dudes in run dmc and be like you guys think you're so cool like your ass will get kicked but also like i have to wonder like if he is being serious he must have never heard the cypress hill song rap superstar because like that song and this song are like the polar opposites of each other. Yeah. Well, where that song is basically like, oh, you think you're going to be a rap, rap star? Here's all the hard shit and terrible things that are going to happen to you along the way. Yeah. And this is, it, 
so violently 2001, which was where white people decided that we were going to take hip hop with its rich history and we were just going to fucking ruin it because mm-hmm. we were going to bring in Eminem, who's just garbage. And then we were going to do something even worse. We were going to create new metal. So we're like taking rap and making it for people who live in dirty trailers and then adding the worst kind of metal. Yeah, like, hey, Rage Against the Machine was cool, but you know what would be even cooler? Raging Against Nothing. Yeah, exactly. I'm Fred Durst. Like, (laughs) oh boy. Like, they don't even have, like, the fun makeup and community-minded spirit that the Juggalos have. It's it's just so craven and, like, soulless. And that's what people did in 2001. We're just like, oh, cool. Let's appropriate other cultures but make them worse it's like yeah. we could have like it's, it'd be like if someone offered you nachos and you're like yeah fuck yeah nachos and then it's just like saltines with velveta on them but it's also cold mm-hmm. you're like that's yeah. nachos right like no that's, that's nachos not yeah nachos i have a great uh analogy for this actually a fast food analogy yes. if you will I discovered a th- the thing called a walk-in taco this week. Oh, walk-in are tacos f- are disgusting. They're so good. Well, yeah, <laughs> but uh, one of our one of, you know, a cookout here in North Carolina was selling one. Had a big sign up for it, and I thought I had never heard of it. I thought it was like, oh, great! I got to try this. A walk-in taco that must be great. It is literally taco stuff in a Doritos bag. I'm sure there are some places and people who make them good and no. make them worth eating. No. This was the worst and i paid two dollars for it and i'm like you know what i can walk with a taco just fine yeah i don't need you to feed it to me we've got tacos and walking down we have figured that out you need two hands to walk with a walk-in taco you need one hand to walk with a regular taco yeah oh i'm i was like the most zen thing i've said all week (laughs) beautiful man so there is one place there's a local dance studio. We have what they call the Grand and Glorious Garage Sale. Mm-hmm. And it is where Main Street becomes a giant garage sale. And oh, I bought the nicest coat I've ever owned there. Like, I get compliments on it all the time. But they also, the dance studio does walking tacos. And I wait every year for it. Oh, wow. And they are disgusting. But in that way, when it's really late and you're really hungry and junk food tastes great. Like, sure, yeah. I think one year, I think this most recent year, it was canceled because of rain, and my heart was broken. I'm like, but my walking taco! I don't know how <laughs> oh. they do it, but it tastes so good in the way that, like, it's garbage food. That's honestly how I feel about this movie. This movie is a walking taco. It's bad for me, and it's filled with crap, but it still makes me happy. Like, once a year, you just have to have one. Yeah. And it's like my yeah. one time a year, and it supports a local dance studio, so I don't feel so terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the much like tacos much like uh, Kevin Smith's uh, movies pop up, like it supports a local charity, so that's great. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're getting way off track. Yes. This uh, song sucks. It sucks hard, <laughs> and uh, right at the end of it, <laughs> I like the genre hip hop, but your song sucks hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's in color, right? Nobody curses. <laughs> <laughs> this also uh features uh two of the only people of color in this film mm-hmm. one is played by tracy morgan yes. actually no i take that back 
Only one of them is a person of color. The other mm. guy's a white guy. So there are only three people of color in this film. <sighs> yep. Yep. Well, Pretty much. One of them is Tracy Morgan. It should be noted that he is a crack dealer. Yes. So I do but like... Honestly, Tracy Morgan's one scene is so good. Yeah. Like, he's great. <laughs> yeah. I also like that they are union members. Yeah. It's important. Uh, this is... We are recording this on May Day. That's true. Happy May Day, everybody. Yes, indeed. You know, unions protect you. Mm-hmm. And they protect guys like Tracy Morgan and Jay and Silent Bob. They were going to go on strike, which I appreciate. They do it for us. Yes. So, um, <laughs> All right. they break into the studio. First, they wind up on the scene of Goodwill Hunting 2, Hunting Season, which I hated Goodwill Hunting. I think that is a boring, masturbatory piece of garbage. Uh, Goodwill Hunting 2 seems awesome. Mm-hmm. The my favorite detail about that entire scene is that like they go over to Gus Van Sant, the director, and he's just <laughs> counting his money. He's he's so busy counting his money, he can't even bother to direct the movie. Which is so rude. Like we get it, Kevin Smith. You hate Hollywood, but it's also kind of funny. Um, my favorite detail about that is uh, Scott Winters, Scott William Winters, um, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I have seen his penis. I watched five seasons of Oz, or however many seasons of Oz there were. I lost count of whose penis I have seen and who I have not seen. Pretty sure I saw his. I watched him get electrocuted, and I saw J.K. Simmons rape him in the the mouth. Oz is a lot, Uh, yo. Basically, the movie at this point becomes Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yes, which is awesome, because Pee-wee's Big Adventure is a great movie. But what I like about it is that it doesn't become overtly Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, no. Like, it, it references it. Um, there are a lot of ben a- jokes at the expense of Ben Affleck, and I'm here for it. Yes. And that was back when Ben Affleck had a sense of humor about himself. Mm-hmm. Now he's just a grouchy divorced dad. Yeah, like, if you if you were trying to make the joke that, you know, uh, code, what, 1047 is, is dis- disappearing a dead hooker from Ben Affleck's uh, trailer, that's just mean. Yeah, but then he's like, ha I wasn't with a hooker today. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, we're going to just skip to the end, basically. They storm the Miramax lot. They find the set of Bluntman and Chronic, and they, their monkey beats up James Vanderbeek and Jason Biggs, who are playing them in the movie. I've actually forgotten about the monkey up until this point. <laughs> the monkey is still there. <laughs> like, I don't even know what happens to the monkey during the Goodwill Hunting 2 scene, but I don't care. Yeah, he gives a shit. <laughs> Who gives a shit? But there's a great scene where, you know, we kind of make fun of Jason Biggs and James Vanderbeek for a minute. Which is a very 2001 thing to do. Yeah. But also, like, in the years since 2001, like, James Vanderbeek's whole thing has basically been making fun of James Vanderbeek. So we have this movie to thank for that. Great. We then get Chris Rock, our second person of color in this film. He is hysterical. He steals the scene, mm-hmm. which is great. Because they keep trying to shoehorn Mark Hamill to steal the scene. So to the point where they actually say on screen, like, hey, kids, it's Mark Hamill. Like, we all know who Mark Hamill is. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, hey, kids, it's Mark Hamill. Applause. Like, yeah. this is like the original, like, Je- uh, Jeb Bush, please clap moment. <laughs> now, it should be noted that Mark Hamill is a national fucking treasure and must be protected at all costs. Yes. But like this again, this is like where nerd culture, like like the the one that we're living in right now, this is where it all started. Like making jokes about Mark Hamill. Hey, remember the Star Wars guy? 
Um, correction, the Star Wars guy. Yeah. So we're referencing the fact that like like nerd actors are in the movie. We're making fun of superhero movies before they really even get started. Well, the thing the way we know them now. Yeah, the thing is that by the time this movie hits, the Phantom Menace has come out. Star Wars has had yeah. a resurgence, and so there's a huge difference between when Clerks came out, when Star Wars was not popular, when it was something that really kind of just existed in the collective memories of Gen X and a handful of nerds. When it really wasn't cool to talk about at all. Yeah. And, and culture had changed so much within that, you know, seven-year period. Seven or eight years. Yeah. We all know who Mark Hamill is. We don't need a reminder. Yeah. We don't need you to constantly be drilling down. Like, remember what Star Wars is? Like, it was literally the biggest movie on the planet two years ago. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm Okay. Again, here's here's me being film nerdy. Imagine if uh, the film It's a Mad, 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 Mad World had done that with the Three Stooges. Like, they're just in it for one scene, but it, like imagine if that movie just paused and a thing said, hey, kids, it's the Three Stooges. Yeah. Please clap. <laughs> like, who gives a shit? We know it's the Three Stooges. We know it's Mark Hamill. Yes. You don't have to tell us. And even if we didn't know it was Mark Hamill under all that makeup, one, we'd see it in the credits. Two, they pull out lightsabers. I do want to know, I love that lightsabers are real in this universe. Yeah. Well, hey, the lightsabers are real in this universe, but also, as we learned in Mallrats, uh, Silent Bob may or may not have uh, psychic powers. Yes. Because yeah, because he pulls the, the bong saber to him uh, psychically, and Mark Hamill is blown away by this. Yes. Uh, but, he, you know, and again, he makes a point to say, like, don't fuck with a Jedi Master son. Like, okay, we know you played Luke Skywalker. We are all on board with this. You do not need to reference that you were in star wars we got it boo yeah and especially because like it's i think kevin smith knows he's making this movie for like 20 people (laughs) as evidenced by the fact that this movie made basically no money but still like he still has to do this like hey kids it's mark hamill like we know like you're not preaching to like the the back you know the the nosebleed section you're preaching to the choir here you don't have to do this yes but he still does it and and he continues to do it yeah. to this day. Yes. And it just, he explains the joke. Um, Jay has a Darth Maul lightsaber, which I'm like, okay, that's going too far. Really? The Phantom Menace? How dare you? How dare you? I uh, <laughs> mean, he chops off Cockknocker's hand and Mark Hamill looks at the camera and goes, not again. I do remember laughing at that. And my, my ex was like, what? And I looked at him. I was like, Really? Yeah, don't you know? Mark Hamill lost a hand on the set of Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> That's true. Like, I had, and my, my ex is the biggest Star Wars nerd in the world. So, like, the fact that he didn't get that joke, like, to this day still haunts me. Oh, really? Geez. Buddy? Do you remember The Empire Strikes Back? This movie's named for it. It's called Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. It's like The Empire Strikes Back, and Luke Skywalker gets uh, his hand cut off, and you can't. Okay. We're coming up here on the end. I'm. Uh, we got our last two songs coming up. I do just want to make a note of one more joke that made me laugh. When Will and Holly is loading Justice into the police car, he tells Jay to stop stealing monkeys. Hey, stop stealing monkeys. Fuck you. Fair enough. I don't know why that <laughs> cracks me up. It's just that casual meanness again. Like it's, It doesn't need to be, but it's so funny. <laughs> and they realize they have enough money to go and beat up everybody who said mean shit 
on the internet and we get stroke nines kick some ass let's go to this is the first of all this is the star of the album right oh i don't think so uh, i still go to marcy I, playground or we I haven't know, even like, gotten is, the real star of the album who am i kidding well really yeah but this is the one that you and i like as soon as we said we were gonna do this we're like oh man kick some ass is awesome and it is it's a great song it is it's one of those like the more i listen to the lyrics the more i'm like this is dumb um but then when i heard it in the movie i was like I was instantly taken back to, to 2001 and like driving around yeah. in my friend Amanda's LeBaron convertible playing this. Yeah. And this is like, this is the kind of rock music that sort of died not long after this movie came out. Yes. Now this one like, does take punches at new metal. It does like almost like directly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a very anti new metal song because I'm pretty sure the first verse is all about how kid rock is a giant phony. Well, he is. He sings about, you know, rapping about the hood and talking about all the cool, cool kids downtown when I've never even been there. And, like, that's Kid Rock. Like, he grew up on, a, on a, a ranch with, like, rich parents. He's not from a trailer park of anything. Yeah. But then in the second verse, like, he's taking direct swipes at Limp Biscuit. I know, which I love. And it's just, it's, like, it's a direct response to these songs that are just angry about nothing. And they sing, sing another song about bashing someone's head in, which, you know... That's actually probably a reference to another Stroke Nine song, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, they're really just sensitive artists. That's the point in the song where I think he's being, again, sarcastic. Like, you know, I can be angry and, and sing about kicking someone's ass, but really, I'm just I'm just such a tortured soul. Well, you yeah, exactly. Me. And that's like yeah. that, that white boy angst, like, mm-hmm. oh, I wouldn't be so angry if, like, society. It goes back to um, uh, Repo Man. Yeah. Like, I blame society. Like, no, you're just another suburban punk. Exactly. But then the music video for the song, which is not on YouTube, and I take offense to that. I take like, I, offense to that. Yeah. But it is on the uh, the DVD for the movie, which is a ridiculously stacked, like, DVD of features. It like, is. It's hours and hours of features back when people cared about stuff like that. That's something video, that's going to be lost in the streaming era features it is it is i mean they try to now with like oh you can buy the new star wars and they'll give you a 20 minute making of documentary but who gives a shit yeah but then you know there's two music videos on this and stroke Stroke nines kick some ass is one of them and in the video it's basically the same as the movie like jay and silent bob are watching music videos and they hate the every video they watch they hate it like it's a like a backstreet boys kind of parody or a limp biscuit parody or an eminem parody and they go to kick the ass of whoever they're watching it's kind of like a beavis and butthead sort of thing (laughs) (laughs) because that's basically what beavis and butthead do Mm -hmm. but also i i want to say this is the only time in like kevin smith canon we've ever seen where jay and silent bob live because like they're in their living room Mm mm-hmm and it looks, you know, it looks like a, a, you know, drug dealer's living room. It's very cushy furniture, weird sculptures everywhere. But also, it's Jay and Silent Bob, so I'm like, did they just break into someone's house? I think that's what we can safely assume. Like, that just makes more sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's a fun video. It's the kind of crap video that they made in 2001, so you take that as, for what it's worth. But also, like, I appreciate the sentiment, you know? 
Yeah, and actually, this song didn't age as well for me only because um, I later discovered Stroke Nine's Letters, which is the song of theirs I like better. Okay. And I actually discovered that on a really, really funky sampler that I have no idea how I got, but also included Duran Duran's Playing With Uranium, which is my favorite Duran Duran song. Um, My friend Amanda had a little black backpack, which is what this song comes from. Yes. Uh, and she used to play it a lot. So the song always makes me think of her. Um, mm, okay. But it's one of those, they, like Minibar, they didn't quite get the love that they probably should have. I'm not saying this should have been the best song in the world, but it, they went a little underrated. And this is a, this is a pretty good song. This should have gotten a little more airtime. Yeah. Uh, when I look at their Wikipedia page and it says, uh, Stroke Nine, Associated Acts, Nine Days, Lit, and Vertical Horizon. All bands that really didn't escape 2001. Yeah, and Lit is a terrible band. Yeah, kind of. So That, uh, their, that their one song is in like a hundred movies, and I'm surprised we haven't heard it yet. I hate that show. song. I will burn this podcast to the fucking ground. Oh, now. boy. Um, well, now I think we need oh. to talk about... Oh, what? Uh, last thing I want to talk about, say about uh, Kick Some Ass. The Wikipedia page for this song is four sentences long. Read those sentences, please. Kick Some Ass is a song recorded by the American rock band Stroke Nine. It was a single released from their 2002 album, Rip It Off. The song peaked at number 36 on the Billboard Alternative Songs charts on September 1st, 2001. Kick Some Ass was featured in the film Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. That's it. That's it. That's all the internet knows about this song, to the point where it doesn't even exist on YouTube. Wow. The website that has everything. Well, I'm glad that this podcast can do a little more to preserve. I should like I should take the up the video and upload it to like Internet Archive or something. You should. Okay, so Kick Some Ass didn't appear on Little Black Backpack then. Well, it's it's a reference like the 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 line uh, sing another song about bashing someone's head in. That's a direct reference to a line in Little Black Backpack. Okay, but it wasn't on that album. Then I wonder if no. she just like burned that and added it because I do remember playing the song in her car. But oh, okay. maybe I see what you're saying. Yeah, interesting. Maybe so. Um, but yeah, that so Jay and Silent Bob have made their money. They've kicked their asses, and now it's time for the grand finale. Yeah, uh, Libby, take it away. All right. So early on in the film, we get. This piece of wisdom from uh, Jay. Never say an unkind word about the time. Me and Selba model our whole fucking life around Morris Day and Jerome. I'm a smooth pimp who loves the pussy. And tell me here's my black man servant. What? In the end, they have the Blunt Man and Chronic movie. We see uh, several other characters, including uh, Joey Lauren Adams and... Uh, what is the what is the guy's name from chasing uh, from chasing Amy? Oh, um, Hooper and Banky. Yeah, are the two we guys. see Hooper again, our third uh, person of color, and there's a you know one last gay joke, um, sure, because why not? And then we go across the street to see Morris Day and the Time playing <laughs> Jungle Love. There's nothing we could say about this. This song is just awesome. We should all, you know, model our whole fucking lives around Morris Day and Jerome. Let's just go to a clip.
movie ends with like Morris Day in the time playing the song, and the version that appears on the soundtrack is this live version. And also, honestly, it's great. Yeah, they're amazing. This is actually the my preferred version. It's good, yeah. So, um, it's just you cannot help but feel really, really good when you hear this song. There's just yeah, there's such such a great energy around this song. It's just so. Oh, I get so excited about it. I know. You just, like, you want to sing back the, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, like, it, the, the movie ends with this, like, kind of really lovely um, sort of uh, credits roll where we're seeing, we get clips of all of the, ca- the the cast and they're giving them their, like, one scene and their credit in the film. And some of them are, you know, they're cracking up. So they're like yeah. blooper reels, and that's that's really fun to see because I think everybody had a good time making this film, yeah, and that joy like is pretty infectious. But then, like the, just that freeze frame at the end on Jay and Silent Bob is it's uh, that actually kind of hits me because like you really kind of tell like it's just two best friends kind of making a movie mm-hmm. together, and like oh this it, it never got better than this, did it? No, it didn't. It's like them at, at at the height of you know whatever power and fame that they had, like. Good for you guys. Yeah, you go. We're happy for you. You know, uh, Jason Muse has been sober for a while, so, you know, really happy for him. He really struggled with drug addiction, and he's mm-hmm. living a good life now, and I'm honestly happy for him. Kevin Smith, of course, lost a lot of weight after a pretty severe heart attack, so we're happy he's living his healthy lifestyle, so that more or less we can, you know, I'd, I make fun of Kevin Smith because I think he's a garbage filmmaker and, like, treats his audience quite contemptuously. But I do and will forever have an affection for him as a person because I think he's a good husband and a good dad. And I think he's a, probably a fundamentally good person. He just has a weird way of showing it to his audiences. Don't be mad at us, dude. Yeah. We didn't ask for this. Right. Yeah. But like the, the thing that I, I, I always kind of appreciate about him is like the, the next two times we see Jay and Silent Bob in uh, Clerks 2 in Jay and Silent Bob reboot. I, as far as I'm, I know, those movies were both made as like basically as gifts from Kevin Smith to Jason Mewes for getting sober again. Yeah, which I, I appreciate. Way to go, man. Which is, is, is a wonderful thing. Yes. And like, I'm glad they're still working together. I'm glad they're still working at all. It's just, I feel like I have outgrown this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that makes me sad because, ugh, I'm so old now. Hey, I'm the one so that just turned 37. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. But it just, it just makes me sad when I'm like, I have to, I watch this now. And like this time watching this movie, it was like a solar eclipse. Like I couldn't look at it directly for more than five seconds without just dying of embarrassment. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I don't think I'm ever going to watch this again. I, and, that, and that's a sad feeling because like I remember the time in my life when this was important to me. And I can think fondly about it, but generally I don't. Mm-hmm. But it's such a time capsule. Yeah, and I feel the same way too. And especially because uh, Courtney and amanda are no longer in my life we've just sort of gone our separate ways but so much of like jokes courtney and i would tell each other were wrapped up in this and like Mm -hmm. doing little scenes for each other to make the other person laugh like i always i always wanted the two of us to go to jay and silent bob for halloween and it just never happened and you know she's somewhere else now and not in my life and i miss her a lot um and it makes me think sort of fondly on her and and you know the time in our life that we did have together. Wow. I'm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, there's. Yeah. It's one of those I don't ever need to see again, but I don't need to look back in anger, as the Gallagher's would say. 
that's true. That's true. I mean, and, and for my part, you know, these movies were kind of instrumental in me learning that, hey, I could be a writer. People write about anything. Look at this guy. <laughs> and so I can look back at these and go, yeah, these these did mean something to me at one point in my life. And, you know, I've grown enough that I can appreciate them for what they were, but I don't necessarily need them anymore. Yeah. And I think that's important. That being said, I will defend most of the soundtrack until I die. Oh, this. So, like, yeah, that's where we have to kind of end here. Is how does this hang together as a soundtrack? Unfortunately, it doesn't hang together as well as I think it could, uh, because we don't have that new pornographer's track. There's a Dandy Warhol's track on here that we don't get, and they cluster in so many uh, sound clips, all of which are funny. But I would have liked but, to have seen a couple more songs. Yeah, there's there's just too much of it. Yeah, there doesn't need to be one between every single song. Like with the Clerks soundtrack, there were I think maybe four or five like choice clips that they put in. Here, there are more clips than there are songs. Yeah, and it I think it kind of ruins the flow of it. Yeah, yeah. But we didn't talk about Afro Man's because I got high, which is fine because I hate that song. Yeah, and also like that song. Um, has it been featured in other movies and maybe, well, no, because we, sh- I mean, we could talk about it because, again, this music video features Jay and Silent Bob and it's basically, I mean, I don't know. I don't really care about this song because, again, like, I don't, weed culture just doesn't affect me at all. But I appreciate the sentiment behind the song. But yeah, it's kind of a dopey song. <laughs> Good one, me. Oh, man, I suck. <laughs> Uh, because I Got High was also featured in the soundtracks to Disturbia and The Perfect Score and Eddie Murphy's A Thousand Words. So take that for what you will. Okay, I will. <laughs> That's our show. That's Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, Joe, what are we doing next time? Uh, next time is another one of our uh, classic On the Fives episodes that y'all love so much. And um, a great thing happened during quarantine. Uh, the Brothers Chap have released an entire collection of all the songs from homestarrunner.com and we will be discussing homestar runner on the next episode of the show man we are just all the way back to my college years it's like hey we landed on 2001 and we're gonna stay there for a while we live here now (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh holy crap it's gonna be so good (laughs) i it's funny because i look back on that i'm like man i was kind of strong sad like i these I think he has a Cure t-shirt at one point or like a Robert Smith poster. <laughs> like, I feel that. Oh, we are all strong sad at some point or other. Oh, yeah. But no, uh, this is uh, going to be an extremely 2000s kids episode, and I can't wait for this it. This is going to be really fun. I'm really excited. So uh, go go check out some Homestar Runner and come back uh, for the next episode of OST Party. But until then, uh, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. And you can check me out over on the Shattered Shield podcast. We're about to get to that episode in season five. Joe, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat or on uh, the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps on Twitter. We are getting the band back together very soon for another Christmas movie. Thank God it's been forever. <laughs> You're done making bread? <laughs> I, yeah. I actually successfully made bread. And I feel like, okay, fine. I've finally done it. And now quarantine can end, right? I'm the last person to make bread. I haven't made bread yet. I'm sorry, guys. I'm keeping the quarantine going because I just haven't made bread. I'm really sorry. Ugh. 
well, hey, I have a podcast for you to listen to so you can learn all about it. <laughs> is there a fun Devo track? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe there is. <laughs> well, uh, so I guess the last thing we should say is if you enjoyed this show, uh, please tell a friend about the show because we love uh, getting more listeners to come in and join us on this wacky uh, party of ours. Rate, rate us, review us, pass us along on the internet. Yeah, tell a friend. That's all you really need to do. Yeah. What else are you doing? It's quarantine. Listen to our back episodes. Yeah, really. <laughs> what the hell do you have to lose? <laughs> <laughs> so for the OST party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. <laughs>